Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. I, am, uh, I head up the men's ministry, and I am part of the preaching team here. And um, during the announcement, it talked about a work day at Uncommon Church. Now, if you don't know what Uncommon Church is, that's where our, our pastor, Andrew B., went to plant a church in Lisbon, Iowa. And um, while I am uh, heading up men's ministry, I want to extend this beyond just men. Um, if you would like to go, we would love to have you go. And that is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but <clears throat> it's about three and a half hours away. And we can figure out how, if you want to go, how we're going to divvy that up. Um, I'll be going out Friday night and coming back Saturday night. Uh, I know some of you need to be back here for Sunday, um, but some might want to stay and be a part of Uncommon Church on Sunday morning, but I need to know so that we can set up lodging and figure all of that out. So if you want to talk about that, think about that, and be a part of that, let me know. Well, <clears throat> let me pray, and we will get into God's Word. Father God. As we gather as your church this morning, as we gather as your bride, I pray that we would always remember that there is an audience of one here this morning, and that is you, God. We have gathered to worship you. We have sung these songs to worship you. And now we gather around your word, and Father, while I am up here, I pray that the audience doesn't see me as the one, but they see you as the one that we have gathered here this morning to worship. We gather around your word because it speaks truth, and so I ask that you would just use me as a mouthpiece this morning to proclaim your truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to receive that, that it would be transforming in its nature. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about, uh, well, several months ago, I had dinner uh, with a very good friend of mine. Um, he is not a follower of Jesus, and yet we have great conversation. And that night, we wandered down many, we talk about a lot of things, and we got onto the subject of religion. And he said to me, here's what I think. I think that all religions are built on a common foundation. Like there is one foundation. And then you, you build your religion this way on that foundation. And you, you build yours this way. And I'll build mine this way. And you'll build yours this way. They're all on a common foundation. But we each build our religion differently. He said, I went to Sunday school when I was a, a young kid. He said, I have heard the stories. He said, I've loved those stories from the Bible. He said, they were good. He says, I don't know if they're true. He says, it doesn't matter. Because they all have a good moral to them. And so I think that's what I can take away from it. And I said to him, Here's what I think. This is why I think, and he's a very logical young man. I said, here's, here's where I think Christianity 
makes the most sense when you talk about all these religions. I said, I don't see these stories as little individual stories. They're good moral stories. I said, they definitely are. But I think they're a part of a bigger story. I think they're a part of God's story that is one common story from beginning to end. And if you don't see that, you'll miss so much of what the Bible is saying. And so for about the next 20 minutes, I walked with him why I believe Christianity made the most sense from Genesis to Revelation. And we talked about creation and the fact that I believe that there has to be a creator. That we didn't just happen. Talked about the fall of man and how the Bible explains that. And what we see in the world today. And I said, do you see this and does that make sense? He goes, oh, absolutely. We talked about God's desire to restore man to himself and to each other. And his desire then to take a person in Abraham and reveal himself to him and said, I'm going to make out of you a mighty nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. We talked about the law and the need for law. We talked about sacrifice and the needs for sacrifice. We talked about this people, the Jewish people, and how they continually wandered away from God. I said, do you find that in your own life? And he goes, yeah. Me too. It's in us. And we talked about all of this, and then we talked about this promised one, and then we got to the Gospels. And we talked about this promised one that was promised from the very beginning to restore all things. And when I got done, he said, I have never heard the Bible explained that way before. And it just struck me how important that is. Now, why do I talk about that today? Well, because here in Matthew, we are finishing up a section. Last Sunday night, the preaching team, we gathered to meet and study together. I love this. You, you all, I, you don't know how blessed I am to be with this group of men. One of the things we were talking about, though, is how important every word is in the Bible. And we're, we're in Matthew, but we talked about the, how Matthew has picked every word for a reason. There is something behind why he has chosen that word. And that's where it's beautiful to have uh, people like Stuart and Drew who have education and knowledge and um, background in original language because things that I would overlook as we're going through it, you might find that Matthew uses the same Greek word three times in a row and the fourth time he changes it. And we translate it to the same word in English and yet Stuart would go, you notice this word is different? Or maybe it's, it's because they've added an adverb or something to the front of it and he goes, oh, oh, this amplifies it way up. Matthew didn't just forget what words he was using. He switched and he's added words to amplify because there's intentionality in everything he does. And it's not just the words, it's the phrases. And it's the stories that he has put together 
and the teachings of Jesus that he has put together with purpose. When I was at Moody, um, I didn't like outlines. Often you would be studying a book of the Bible, and the first day was just, and here's the outline. And you'd go through it, and you'd be like, okay, and I know this is going to be on the test, so I'm going to have to study this. But what I've realized as I've studied Matthew together with these brothers, while I would say I don't particularly like outlines, seeing what Matthew is trying to do has been so encouraging and so stirring in me to realize this is not just Matthew going, oh, and then what happened? Oh, yeah, he did this and he did this. This is Matthew laying out an argument for who this man Jesus is and why it matters and why it should matter to us and to his readers in this gospel. Gospel meaning good news. So I'm going to back up, and today we, we have three verses, and they're pretty small, and, and there's a not a lot happening. And yet, it's concluding this section, and I think, oh, Matthew is trying to tell us something here. And that's where I'm going with this today. So as we have been going through Matthew, and we are coming up on almost a year of going through Matthew, we read the first four chapters, and Matthew is laying out who this, this child, Jesus, is. He gives us the genealogy, all these people, that many of them shouldn't be there because they're not just Jews, they're Greeks, they're not just men, they're women. And so as we go through that genealogy, we realize there is things happening there. And Matthew starts relating it back to the Jewish scriptures. We see this... this um, uh, this divine supernatural birth and conception and birth. We see uh, Jesus' baptism and then the temptation in the wilderness. And throughout that first four chapters, Matthew continually goes, Hey, hey, this, this fulfills what was promised in the Jewish scriptures here in the Old Testament. Do you get it? Do you see it? And here's what happens. At the end of chapter 4, Matthew goes, and Jesus went around the area teaching, preaching, and healing every disease. Okay, interesting. What I realized is Matthew is marking this, and he wants you to get that. And now we step into chapter 5, 6, and 7, and this is a new section. Matthew has just said, Jesus went around to all the area, teaching, preaching, and healing. And so now in 5, 6, and 7, Matthew's going to go, well, what did, he, what did he teach? And he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. And so for a good period of time, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out what living the law truly looks like, that he has come to fulfill the law, that, that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees what citizens of the kingdom of heaven will look like. And then, when we get to the end of 7, Matthew says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Matthew is just finishing up this section. He wants us to understand something. He wants us to understand that Jesus 
teaches with authority. His words carry authority like no other. So we see this incredible supernatural birth and and life relating to the Old Testament. We see that he says, and he teaches with authority. And then in the beginning of summer, in in the beginning of June, we we come to this section. Chapters 8 and and almost all of 9. And today we're finishing this section up. There's ten miracles in this section, five and eight, five and nine, and, and again, Matthew, and, and, and this is what I love in learning, what's he trying to say? He has not randomly picked these miracles. He has not randomly put them in order. He has grouped these together with purpose. And we want to come to the scripture and go, what's he saying? Today, we we conclude this section with the two blind men of last week. They're they're leaving, and this, as as the kids heard, this mute man comes in. He is brought in. And he stands before Jesus, and we realize, we're told, that he's not mute because of something wrong with his vocal cords. There is, but it's a spiritual issue, not just a physical one. He's mute because he is a demon that is possessing him and keeping him from speaking. And here's what happens. It seems very simple. We're not told about it, you know, how Jesus does it. But here's what happens, and listen to what Matthew concludes this section with. Verse 33, it says, And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Do you see how Matthew is concluding? He goes, Don't miss this, folks. Just like at the end of 7, where the people said he spoke with authority, they were amazed. Here at the end of of 9, he says, and the people were amazed. They marveled. They said, we've never seen anything like this. What's Matthew want us to understand? Jesus has authority with his words. Jesus has authority in what he does in his deeds, what he commands over everything. Matthew says, look, look at what I've just laid out. Jesus has authority, and this is why I think he's chosen these ten and put them together. We see over disease and illness. We see that Jesus has authority over nature. We see that he has authority over demons. We see he has authority over disabilities. We see that he even has authority over death. I feel like, I forget that there's a video, a black preacher is, this is my king, right? Like, do you get it? Do you see who this man Jesus is? He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. And we talked about that, what that means. That declaration of He is God. He is the one Daniel saw. He has authority over sin. 
Matthew's laying this out. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago in our D group, our discipleship group, uh, one of the verses, some of the verses that we had to learn, memorize, um, and for us older guys, that's not easy. But luckily it was some verses that most of us were familiar with, and they come from John 1. And as I was preparing and thinking about what Matthew was trying to get us to understand, I thought, John, John tells us why. John tells us why this man, Jesus, has this authority. And so, <clears throat> listen as I read John 1, 1 to 5, and then verse 14. John put it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 14 he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what he's saying, tabernacled among us, came and lived here with us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This, this authority that Matthew is laying out is because what John says, he has been from the beginning. He was with God. He is God. And everything that's been made has been made by him and through him. So the wind and the wave, I loved it. I think Drew read um, uh, from a, a kid's Bible. I love the way they put it. When he calmed the storm, the wind and the wave had heard this voice before. They were the one that created them. He has authority because he has every right. He is the creator. He gives life. He sustains it. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. In this section, Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus has authority over all things. And then, I love what he does. He, he weaves this thread of faith throughout these stories. And maybe that's a, a good thing for you. Maybe that's a hard thing for you. I know I wrestle with what does that look like. But here we've heard others. Mark said it. I think Drew said it last week. Our faith is not in our ability to get God to do what we want. Our, our faith is in the one with authority. Jesus. And that's what Matthew wants us to understand. Maybe you're going, I don't have faith like that. I love that Matthew has painted pictures of faith that are not consistent. And I think that's one of the things that makes this section so hard because you go, wait, what is faith? Wait, wait what does that look like? Wait, how do I get that? What do I need to do? 
I want power like that. I need power like that in my life. I need God to be in my life with that kind of authority and that kind of power. So what do I do? And, and you start out and you look at the leper who comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I know if you are willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. Be clean. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had faith that says, God, I know you're willing, but, but if I say that and nothing happens, then it means you are able, but you did, aren't willing, and I don't know what to do with that. Or maybe the centurion, the Roman centurion, and throughout this we see Gentiles and Jews coming to Jesus to experience this authority in their life. And so we get a Roman centurion who comes and says, Jesus, I have a servant that's in need. And Jesus says, should I come with you? And he says, oh no, I, I'm unworthy to have you come to my home. Just say the word. I am a man who commands others, and I know what that means. All you have to do is say the word, and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I love that he says, but there will be many that come to the banquet feast from all nations. Again, he's just reemphasizing this is not just for the Jewish people. God has a, a plan here. He is working in, in, through his people. But Jesus is saying, this is not the end. There will be people from every nation that gather at the banquet table. With Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And you go, oh, I wish I had faith like that. But I don't. And maybe you say, I have to just try to make that happen. I have to, it's emotional. I need to, I just need emotion and say, God, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And you go, no, I don't. I struggle. I, I don't know, God. I see it, and you go, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. And I go, uh, I'm like the people in Israel. But here's what I love. Matthew doesn't just go, and this, this is who you need to be. Because we also see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she doesn't even ask. He just comes in and finds out she's got a fever and sick, and he just touches her and heals her. Jesus goes to uh, Gentiles that are demon-possessed. What kind of faith do they have? And yet, he heals them. The disciples, who you would think have great faith, they're in the boat and the storm comes. And they're like, Jesus, save us, we're going to die. And Jesus doesn't go, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. Instead, he goes, oh, you have a little faith. And he doesn't say, so deal with it. No, he says, you have little faith. And then he speaks. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and they become calm. And the disciples like, who is this man that can speak and control the wind and the waves? They're starting to understand. And then last week we have the blind men 
who cry out, Son of David. They had faith. They knew this was their chance. Son of David, which says, they are calling, giving him the title that says, we believe you are the Messiah. Son of David. Help. No, they didn't say help. They said, have mercy on us. Here's the one thing I love, that as Matthew has painted these pictures of Christ's authority and faith, it really does depend upon God's mercy. And here's what I've, as I've journeyed through following Jesus, one of the biggest things I think I need as far as faith I think we're called to as far as faith is faith in this one that has authority. And we say that, but what does that look like? What does that mean? I have faith in the one. It means we don't have faith in what we want, in the things he can give, but we have faith in the giver. In all this, these ten miracles, Matthew three times talks about somebody that didn't need a miracle but he injects I think pictures of faith in a different way we see a scribe that comes to Jesus as he's about to get on this boat which was when the storm happened I go oh I bet he would have been shocked when that happened but he says I'll follow you wherever you go and Jesus says well foxes have dens and birds have nests but just so you know I don't. That's not important to me. So if you're going to follow me, are you, do you have faith that you're going to follow me and, and I will provide what is needed, but we're not going to focus on that? And we don't see him follow. We see Jesus turn to another man and say, hey, follow me. In the same way he has called the fisherman, hey, follow me. And the, and the man says, I, I, I really want to. But I have a few things I need to do first. But as soon as I take care of those, I will. And we don't see him follow. And then the man that I, I would say in all of this section has incredible faith. We see it in the Roman centurion. But here's somebody that we don't often connect to faith because it's not a miracle. But I, would, I look at Matthew. The call of Matthew to follow Jesus. And I go, it's a beautiful picture of this faith of what we're called to. Faith in the one that has authority. Because Jesus, walking by, stops and says to Matthew, the writer of this gospel, the the tax collector, the one who was probably pretty well off financially, hated by his people, used by the Roman government, sinful, corrupt. And Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. And here's where I see great faith. Matthew gets up and follows. Why is Matthew so much different to me? I go, Matthew... 
couldn't go back to this. We see the fishermen, when Jesus is crucified, for a time they go back to fishing. They don't know what to do. It's like, oh, let's go back to the boats. Let's do what we know. They still had their boats. They left everything, but they were there. And they go back for a time. Matthew, when he got up and followed Jesus, there was no turning back. He was not going to follow for a while and then go, you know, this isn't working out. I think I'll go back and be a tax collector. There is no going back. I've heard stories of missionaries when they would, when they would long time ago, travel and they would burn the boats, right? Like there is no going back. I, hear, I see that with Matthew. He is all in. And he doesn't know what that means. But he's willing to take steps and follow Jesus. I think that's what Matthew wants us to hear. It's his story. It's what he's writing about in this one who has authority, whether in word or deed, it is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. The one that he says at the very beginning of Matthew, and keep letting that soak in, he has come to save his people from their sins. So then the question is, what does that faith in this one with authority look like for you? And for me? I believe following Jesus is taking a step and following every day what God reveals to show you how you need to follow. So often we can run ahead. I know of people that go, I want to do mighty things for God. I want to pray and see miracles. I want to see this. I want to see people come to Christ. And you're like, are you in the Word? Eh, not that much. I think following Jesus isn't looking ahead and going, ah, oh. it's, it's like any musician. John, you're, I doubt if you just started playing last week, right? If you know John, <laughs> very good musician. Monica, his wife, singing. Like, you don't just go, I want to be like that. And you start and you try and you go, I am. No, you start and you probably are not very good. If you started an instrument, and you're like, oh, I, I, I would love to play guitar. And you pick up an instrument, and you start playing, and you go, oh, oh. Because you, why? You go, that's what I want. Well, how do you get there? You start to learn scales. You start to learn fingering. You start to learn the basics, and it's not that exciting. Jesus says, follow me. And you're like, I want to do great things. He says, how about just follow me? Take a step. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to say a few things. I don't know where you're at, but I believe as I've prayed through this, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. Not because I'm saying these things. I have no idea where you're at. But how do we follow this one with authority? How do we put our faith in him? There's some of you that might go, oh, Mark, 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 because I've talked to you. 
and I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody, but if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't gotten baptized yet, come on. I think it's one of those steps where you can follow Jesus in a tangible way where he says, hey, Jesus did it. He was our example. He calls us to go and make disciples, baptizing him, them in his name, teaching them all that he commanded, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And so one of those tangible things, I think, is be baptized. And we were talking about it Sunday night. Like, it's not this big production that you have to come up, and I know it, it, it's scary, but let me tell you, for a Jew back here to step out and go, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, there was no going back. Baptism said, there's no going back. I'm all in that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you truly want to follow Jesus, I'd say a very good and tangible thing is to go, I need to get baptized. And in a couple weeks, I think a couple weeks, we're having a baptism, correct? Elijah, I think you're out there. Elijah got baptized earlier this summer. You were an example to me. I love that. Because I heard his heart He knew this is what I need to do if I want to follow Jesus. I pray that would be an example to you if you haven't followed Jesus in baptism. It's a beautiful thing. Anybody here, if somebody gets baptized, will you be sad that the service might go a little extra long? No. Okay? We will celebrate. Because why? It is a celebration of this picture of being crucified and dying with Christ and raised up to new life. It's beautiful. It's exciting. I would encourage you. We heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He talked about what it would look like to be a citizen of the kingdom, what it looks like to live it out, and it's not just don't be angry. I'm sorry, don't murder, but don't even be angry. He talks about loving your enemies, and maybe maybe you're like, no, nope, nope, you don't know my enemy, can't do that. Here's where faith steps in and says, Really? Are you willing to follow Jesus without knowing what that might look like? But I am going to give that to him, and I am going to try to love that person through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Why? Because I've been called to do that. We're going to see Matthew setting himself up for the next section. And I love next week the very first thing is he's going to say that Jesus went around the area teaching, preaching, and healing. We've heard that before. And now he's going to start to send his disciples out. And it's not just following, but it's sending them out to be laborers in the harvest field. And he's going to warn them about stuff that's going to happen and come. That's faith that says, okay, I'm in. And so maybe your next steps are, uh, you want me to do what, Jesus? Okay. Be people of the word. You can't know what your next steps in following Jesus are if you're not in the word. And as a word, you get into the word, the Holy Spirit convicts or enlightens or encourages you here. You need to do this. 
I had to listen to my own sermon as I was writing it yesterday because God was speaking to me. I was, if you don't know, for me, I start about three weeks out in working on a sermon just because that's, I need that. <laughs> I could never be a pastor. Like, I got another one next week? No, I can't. And I begin reading the passage. I begin reading and reading and reading and reading. I read it probably almost two weeks without doing anything else other than reading it. Maybe reading the section. I'm just praying, God, help me to understand what's most important here. And as I did that, then usually the final week... I start to dig a little bit more, try to figure out some of the original language and what's going on. And then by Friday, I hope that I go, okay, I I believe I know where God wants me to take this this week. And Friday night usually is when I take and try to gather all the pieces. And hopefully, by Saturday morning, I go, okay, I I think that's it. And now I just start to trim and home, and and by Saturday afternoon, I want to know, okay, God, like, is this it? And And I go through it probably five times between then and Sunday morning. Well, Friday night came this week. I studied, and I studied, and I studied, and I thought, I think I know where you want me to go, God, but it's not coming together, which is not unusual. I would ask you guys, pray for the preaching team because it's a battle and it's a spiritual battle. But pray for our pastor when he comes because I've realized all that goes on behind the scenes and getting ready. It is such a spiritual battle. Friday night, okay, I'm going to lay it aside, go to bed. Saturday morning, I get up, I have breakfast with a friend, and then I come and I... I sit down, and for hours and hours, I'm, I'm trying to put this together. And it's not coming together. And finally, mid-afternoon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a little break. I need to step away. But I, I had been praying, God, you always show up. You always show up and show me. And I don't feel like you're showing up. And then I thought, you're not showing up because I'm not preaching what you want. So I spent some time playing with the grandkids, getting away and just kind of stepping back. But, you know, it's going through your head. And about 4.30 yesterday afternoon, I sat back down and I said, okay, God, you are, you are not giving me this. I have no no peace that this is what you desire. And there's a huge part of me that wants to force it somehow to make it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, theologically it was correct, but it just didn't feel like it was what God wanted from this passage. And so I thought, okay. I've got two roads here. I can figure out a way to manipulate and get through it and be ready for Sunday morning. Or I can throw it all away and start again. Guys on the preaching team, you know, 4.30 Saturday afternoon is not when you want to throw it all away and start over again. But I knew I had no peace. And 
I thought, okay. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. For me, in that moment, what was the next step? Well, for me, in that moment, was to trust God that he was saying, don't, don't preach that. Take a look again. And so I didn't know where that would lead, because you throw it all away again, and five hours from then, you may be going in the garbage going, wait, I, I need that. And so at 4.30, I opened up the Bible and started reading again, started studying again, started listening. And about 7 o'clock, I started to put things together. By 10 o'clock, I had peace that this is what God wants us to hear this morning. This man with authority, he's not just a man, he's the God-man, Jesus, the Messiah, who says, have faith and follow me. I know for me, we talked a couple weeks in the KLV class um, after the service, for me, I see God's hand at work so much more in my life, in miraculous ways, when I am just following him. When I step out in faith, and I go, okay. And I see him show up. I think that's what Matthew wants us to hear this morning. What's your next step? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Have faith that he will do what he says because he is the creator of everything. His word has authority. He has authority. And he invites us to follow. I'm going to be down by the cross afterwards. If, if you want to talk and go, Mark, help me here. Let's talk. Let's get into the Word. If you need prayer and you go, I know what my next step is, but I'm afraid to do it. I would love to pray with you. We'll have others up here to pray. But would you consider what your next, what Jesus is calling you to, to follow Him? And boldly, with great faith, which doesn't have to be much, take that step to follow. Jesus, I am so grateful. That we have nothing in us that can produce what we want. It's not even our faith. It's something you give us in faith. It is your mercy. It is your Holy Spirit even that even causes us to want to follow you. It is your word that instructs us and shows us what you desire in following. And Father, as a a congregation, we gather now in your presence to lift these things up. Father, I lift up Velma Robinson. Father, she fell and broke her hip this week, but we are grateful and thankful that you, you have carried her through this, that the surgery has gone well, and she is um, approaching rehab now. And so, Father, I pray that you would give her strength in these days. And if we know Velma, we know this is hard for her to, just to slow down. Father, I pray you would, she would sense your presence in the waiting these days. Father, again, we, we lift up our pastoral search team and, 
and we come to you with faith that you are already doing a work. You have already gone before us, that you are protecting them, that you are uniting them, because none of that is within our ability or power. And so, Father, I pray for great trust for the team, not in each other or not in the process, but in you, that you are doing a work to bring them to the man that you desire. Father, I pray for those that have just gone through a hurricane. Father, I've seen pictures from those that have friends in the middle of it and how devastating it is. Father, it's easy for us to look out on a beautiful day today and just be grateful and thankful. But Father, I know that many are suffering because of that. Father, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to be Jesus to those that are struggling and suffering because of this hurricane. And Father, I lift up your persecuted church around the world. Father, this week I have been reading stories of great faith because of believers in countries where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus. They have suffered great tribulation, great, great pain, suffering. And yet, and yet, they embrace it because Jesus, you said this would happen, and they count themselves worthy and find great joy in being followers of Jesus. And so we ask that you would, that you would comfort them, but that your, your church would grow like never before in these areas, and we desire that here as well, Father, that your church would grow. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that it would transform us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.